This is episode two of One Page at a Time, Fighting the Decline by Nine with Vorn Tarshish. Podcasting from Virginia and Dubai. This is One Page at a Time, where we bring you strategies and resources for using books in your home. We are your hosts, Jill and Amanda. So today's interview is really, really wonderful, and we chose it as a benchmark interview, or I guess not a benchmark, but as a foundation interview for one of the three that we are launching the podcast with, because it delves into the Kids and Family Reading Report. Put out by Scholastic. And our guest is going to tell you a little bit more about that and what it is. But this is a report that Scholastic puts out that is pretty important. A lot of people reference it and it gives such good insight into what's going on in people's homes, in kids' heads right now. So there's a lot of good stuff in this interview, so we're just going to dive right in and talk to you afterwards. Today's guest is a mother of four, including a son who inspired her to write her New York Times bestselling series called I Survived, about children who survive historical disasters. We were connected to Lauren for her current role as Senior Vice President and Editor-in-Chief and Publisher for Scholastic's Classroom Magazines and her work with Scholastic's Kids and Family Reading Report. Welcome, Lauren Tarshis. Thank you, Amanda. I want to start talking about the Kids and Family Reading Report and your work with Scholastic. Would you mind giving us a quick idea about what you do and also what the Kids and Family Reading Report is? Absolutely. Well, just, I mean, I, to step back a little bit, Scholastic's going to be celebrating its 100th anniversary next year. Um, we have, and we are, we began 100 years ago um, with one single magazine called The Scholastic um, that was launched in 1920 by um, a man named M.R. Robinson, who's the father of our current CEO. So we've had two CEOs in 100 years, um, and our leader is, is now Dick Robinson, who's the son of the founder. And the, the whole company began you know, with this single magazine and the idea that kids need facts and information, and they need tools to become clear thinkers so that they can be members of, they can grow up to be citizens of our democracy. So Scholastic today is the largest publisher of children's books. Of course, we have vastly expanded our mission, Harry Potter, The Hunger Games, Dogman. Um, we create wonderful educational resources that are used all around the world. Classroom magazines, which I now oversee editorially, now has grown to include more than 21 different titles and um, were read by between 15 and 20 million children. Um, and we have we have resources ranging from pre-K, you know, charming pre-K magazines, all the way up to our high school magazine that's a partnership with the New York Times up front. And even though the magazines are all very different and they range different content areas and different age groups, they really are united by we we're, we are we have teams of writers who create incredibly rich and compelling and inspiring stories 
videos, all kinds of wonderful resources for for classrooms. And then we also create support materials like lesson plans and um, activities and quizzes so that teachers can turn our stories, our articles and stories into really powerful teaching tools. So that's what I do in classroom magazines. That's phenomenal. And congratulations to Scholastic for such a big milestone coming up. I had no idea that it was such an old organization. It's very well known and respected, especially in the United States. My relationship with it, if you can call it that, but how I came to know Scholastic was from the book fairs in elementary school. And most of the books that we had in our home was was published by Scholastic and we had the magazines and the classroom readers and uh, so Scholastic holds a place in my heart that's for sure. <laughs> well that makes us very happy and we that's what that's what's you know we, we feel so lucky to be working at a place that um, people you know people feel so good about what we do and and all the people here many of them I've been here for a, I, I mean, I, I can't even admit how many decades I've been here, but um, I'm not the only one who I, who has spent their entire career here. And then the Kids and Family Reading Report is, um, you know, it's very, in, you know, elemental to what we do, and it's just it's a survey um, of kids and parents to really understand more about how kids are feeling about reading, how often they're reading. Um, what kinds of books they're reading. This helps us, I think, understand trends about reading so that our teacher partners can engage in perhaps new ways. And it also helps us as authors figure out the kinds of books that we want to be creating to help meeting to, so we can engage more kids, so we can understand the kinds of kids, the books that kids are really yearning to read. Looking at, at the most recent report, which how often does the Kids and Family Reading Report come out? Every other year. Every other year. So I'm looking at the seventh edition right now, which is the most recent, correct? Right, right. Okay, good. (laughs) That would be embarrassing. So we have this seventh edition was published when? 2019, sorry. We did the research in 2018 of about, I think it's about more than 2,000 families and about 600 kids of different age groups. And then we, we actually collaborate with the organization So the information is, it's really, I think, considered the most important survey of reading attitudes. It's most definitely a benchmark that's used in quite a few other resources and research for people. We're very fortunate to have you join us here for this interview to talk specifically about the decline by nine. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is? It's sort of a catchphrase that's, I don't know if it was created in this edition, but it's referenced throughout the report itself. Can you tell us a little bit about the decline by nine? Absolutely. Well, to give you a little bit of perspective, um, around the age of nine, developmentally, kids make this really important shift sort of in third, around third grade, second, third grade, where they're, instead of learning to read, you know, just learning to sound out words and put words together, they are, um, they're starting to read in order to learn. You know, they're now, they can, they can read. So now they can use this tool of reading to explore, to build their knowledge, to start reading new types of books and to expand their understanding of the world and themselves. What we found in the recent survey is right at this critical point, you know, which you could probably say is in terms of reading development, 
you know, in addition to just learning to read, it's this critical, critical point in a child's reading life. Suddenly we found that attitudes among a large number of kids begin to shift. And they, up until then, they start to think they're many of, most of them are viewing reading as something super fun. They're really excited. They can't wait to do it. It's all, you know, just this very thrilling thing. And then they hit nine and suddenly their attitude shifts to it, it's no longer fun. It's, it's a source of stress and it is it's something that they don't, they're just not that eager to do. So we were very alarmed by this. And I think there are a number of, um, you know, a number of forces that based on our conversations with um, our literacy experts and teachers and, and also many parents, um, we have a number of theories as to why this is happening. Why do you think that it's happening? If you wouldn't mind delving into one or two of your of your theories that you just mentioned, what, why do you think that it's happening? I think that, that there are a few factors. I think third grade in public schools is the first year of high stakes testing. So suddenly um, the environment in second grade is we're sitting on a rug, the teacher's reading aloud, we have our, you know, we have our, our books that we get to choose and, and reading is this exciting, and in many cases, a very social group experience. Um, suddenly in third grade, teachers are under a huge amount of pressure to make sure that their kids are going to perform on the reading tests. So many in many classrooms, they're not even really reading books as much as they're reading, you know, quote, reading passages that are printed from, you know, just generic texts just to build their reading skills. And many kids are anxious about these tests as well. So I would say that's one big factor in the classroom that the culture, the reading culture between second grade and third grade pretty dramatically shifts. And I think most teachers, you know, most teachers, this really resonated with them when they, the teachers that we've spoken to about this decline, it makes total sense to them based on what they are doing with their kids. And they, they feel pretty heartbroken about it. Another force is that this is also an age where kids begin to do more outside of school travel teams, you know, for sports activities. So kids have less time, you know, they're suddenly their afternoons are packed, they get home, they're exhausted, they have dinner, they many of them even in third grade have homework, and they drop off to bed. And I think finally, and this is actually one that I think, you know, all of us who are parents can really relate to is electronics. I think that there's just a huge amount of competition for the time that kids are spending lolling around the house, right? right? Instead of that big stack of books, they have their iPad or increasingly even their, their own phones at a young age. So I think those three factors pull together. And obviously in different communities, you're going to have a different, you know, different forces at work. But I think that those three, those three together seem to have been, have created this problem. Yeah, I remember I'm thinking back to the time that I was in this age, <laughs> which is hard for me to remember, but the time that I am imagining in my head where I experienced a sort of similar, I wouldn't say a disinterest, but I was definitely less interested in reading was when I moved from the elementary school environment into a junior high environment and there wasn't the same library setting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have another huge one, Amanda. That's a really great point. The elementary library. Yeah. So when we're looking at this decline by nine, was there in earlier reports any indication that this was coming? Was there some sort of a gradual moving back? I'd, I'd like to think that I was a fairly normal child where I was very interested in reading and then when I wasn't exposed to the books, 
and I too was getting involved in the extracurricular activities. You know, I started focusing on band and music and, you know, and my parents weren't reading aloud to me anymore because I was older. So books weren't present in my life the same way. And I wasn't seeing my parents read, which is probably another thing that, you know, might fit in with this electronics. Kids are using electronics, but also parents are using electronics. So the kids aren't seeing their parents reading. But has there been any sort of an indication that this was coming or that it is continuing to move younger and younger? Are kids being less interested in reading younger now than they were before? We think so. Um, there's always been a gradual decline as kids gotten, you know, that that is something that we've certainly seen, um, especially in recent years, because again, of the natural, you know, the, the time crunch that kids generally start to face as they get older. But all of those all of these existing factors have become more intense. There's, you know, the, the just the sheer amount of, of content available for kids electronically has, has increased. And I think you're right. I think that parents' habits have changed. Adults have to really mindfully put aside time to read because it's just so tempting to use those kind of interstitial times, you know, waiting or before you go to bed or while you're waiting for your coffee to brew, where you used to be reading a book or a magazine or a newspaper, you know, it's just so tempting to pick up your phone. It is. It's a hard habit to break and it's an easy habit to get into. It is. And I think when we start to talk about, okay, what can we do? That's to me for parents that's really the number one thing. I think both trying to, it's another good reason to try to carve out time during the day when there there's no electronics. And also, as you point out, to kind of start to model yourself to try to also um, model, you know, be reading more and also trying to limit electronics a little more. Yes, we could all do probably with a little bit less screen time in our lives for sure. Why is this important for us to know as parents that this decline by nine is here and that it could be moving ever younger, you know, as time goes on? But why why is it important for us to know this and why is it important for us to understand the effects of it? Well, I think that it's empowering to know because there really are things that we can do. I think that we understand, you know, that reading, I think it's something that we're all pretty united in our sense that of the importance of reading for so many different reasons. I mean, another little corollary to this that I'll share with you, which you might be um, hearing more about is something called the knowledge gap, which is that they're fine. We're finding that kids know less. They get to, you know, they don't know the cat. They don't know whether they don't know the name of their state that they're living in. They don't know that the Mississippi is a river. They don't know where, you know, they don't know what Mount Rushmore is. They don't know who the Beatles are. You know, all of these touchstones of knowledge are um, no longer a part of many kids working, um, you know, kind of mental vocabulary. And that's another, that's also tied to the decline, the decline of reading and the increase in, you know, just kids sitting and doing video games and things that aren't also building knowledge. So I think that we, that, that I think we can, first of all, once we see the impact of something and we see the data, you know, confirming, okay, well, what we sort of thought was happening is definitely happening. So it's empowering to be able to, to say, okay, I have the information and now I'm going to try to engage with that to try to, to try to, um, to work against this. And I think that it's, there are pretty simple steps that parents can take. And I think, you know, I think one of the things that my colleagues and I have been talking about 
especially when it comes to the very young children, you know, well before nine, is how do you kind of inoculate your kids against the decline by nine? Obviously, you know, there are ways to intervene and slowly start to, um, you know, de-emphasize electronics, carving out time, really bracketing off time every day that is reading time, maybe for the whole family, even if it's only 10 or 15 minutes at a certain time. This is what we all do together. Having, you know, books in the car, you know, at a, at a, if, if your child is anxious or um, impatient at a restaurant, instead of pulling out an iPhone, here's your book. All those, you know, all those kind of logical things that we can do. But I think for parents of younger children, too, it's beginning, it's, it's really even doing more to build that sense of joy about reading and excitement about reading and family time focused on reading so that that decline doesn't happen. Right. And what, what can be done if the decline has happened? What if you have an 11 year old who doesn't want to read anymore? I think that um, well, it's funny. I was I've been telling my friends about you mean I my experience going to my 15 year old daughter's high school back to school night where the teacher there the English teacher brought his entire child and teenage um, book collection to the school and there are shelves and shelves and shelves of books and for 10 minutes the first 10 minutes of every class the kids read for fun he, they can take you know they 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 take check out his books. So I think, and he says it's it's incredible, and he quizzes the kids on their attitudes about reading in the beginning of the year and at the end of the year. And he said it is shocking how just that 10 minutes a day of building it in affects kids in terms of their identity of readers, their, their attitudes about books. So I think it's, you know, the good news is I think it's a pretty simple fix. You know, it's building in that time and helping your children find books. They don't have to be the most literary selections necessarily, but um, building time into the family schedule, building even if it's an audio book in the car, talking about books at dinner time, engaging your kids in, if you're taking a family trip, you know, even to in something like an amusement park, having the, you know, your, your child participating the research of that and maybe trying to connect even that experience to a reading experience. I think like, I'm sure Amanda, like anything else in our lives, it's not this one huge, massive, we're not doing any electronics and now everyone has to read two books a week. It's small steps, small changes that start to build into habits and then have that slowly transformative impact. Yeah. And the smaller that it is, the easier that it is to actually start and to implement with the hope that it continues and really does grow into a habit. So I love that idea of just 10 minutes a day can make a difference. And I can imagine my life as a teenager would have been very different if I had done 10 minutes of reading just for fun with a book that I had chosen, not for a report or not for a class of any kind, but just a fun book. I missed several years there that I probably should have. And well, I definitely should have, but I could have been growing in other ways. I think you're so right. And I think that what's so, what I loved about this idea of 10 minutes a day, I mean, high school is so intense, you know, and they feel like, you know, this is my, my daughter goes to a, you know, a suburban high school that's very academic organ. The idea that the teacher's saying, you know, this is super important, this, and, and really encourages them to choose a fun book, just like you said, you're, this is not a book you're going to be tested on. You are not to do a report or an essay on this. This is just to be, and, and don't, and, the, and his library is so, it's so varied. And the kids are really 
enjoying it. My daughter read the book George, which is really <laughs> written for fifth graders or sixth graders, you know, young younger kids, and she loved it and she felt, you know, liberated that she was able. Now she's going back and she's reading a lot of the middle grade novels that she missed, and she's loving them. I would love to go back and read some of the series that I had read. <laughs> I constantly think about this series called Redwall series. It's about mice or I don't oh, yeah, yeah. I would love to go back and read that one, but <laughs> it's not too late, Amanda. You should I go should. back. I should go back. I wonder if I could even find it. I don't have library access here, so I don't even know how I would find it, but I will try. <laughs> well, I so I wanted to talk a little bit. I kind of wanted to circle back to why it's important for us to avoid this decline by nine. So do we have any research or anything that indicates what the long-term effects are of someone who has lost their interest and has a significant decreased desire to read by age nine? You know, I think that there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of different statistics about different types of reading in a child's life. I think that what everyone agrees on at the very baseline is that the basic ability to read, you know, being able to read at grade level in third grade, that is a, that is a profoundly important milestone. And that children who read below, you know, significantly below grade level in third grade, there are, they have much higher likelihood of not finishing high school. There's just a lot of actually pretty weighty statistics attached to that. But I think it's also really important, and and I don't know if my scholastic colleagues will approve of me saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I think that I think that we parents feel a lot of pressure to have our kids love to read. And I think that that I don't necessarily think we can make our kids love to do anything, right? What we can do is help them understand the importance of it, make it fun for them, create fun activities around reading, create a culture of reading in our families, in our classrooms that is positive and celebratory and, um, and, and actually a part of the day. And I think that what, what the statistics do to show very much is that kids who love to read, kids, kids who read a lot, you know, kids who read regularly, the statistics, I mean, there are very powerful statistics, of course, about academic um, achievement in all, you know, there's just no question about that. But I think that we, I don't think you're going to find any data that says, okay, kids who rate their love of reading an eight are going to go to these kinds of colleges. I think that kids who love reading are more likely to read more and kids who read more are going to generally perform well in, in school. But once again, I, th- I think it puts a lot of pressure on parents and teachers to feel as though they have failed if their children do not love to read and are not spending, you know, hours, you know, reading, you know, hiding under the covers with a flashlight reading Lord of the Rings. I don't think that's what we're talking about here. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I'm really glad that you said that. And the immediate connection that I made with this was that the environment and culture is incredibly important for establishing familiarity that will continue throughout their lives. And I think about chores and how I do not enjoy the chores that I do at home. But I'm very appreciative of my parents who encouraged me, taught me how to do these chores at a very young age, and even encouraged an environment where 
you know, I don't enjoy doing the dishes, but it was still a fairly decent memory to be able to talk with my parents and have conversations with them while we were doing the dishes together. So now I have that skill and I know how to do the dishes and it's still not that I enjoy doing the dishes by any means, but it's something that I know how to do and it's not a negative association. It's just more of a neutral thing. Well, I think again, this statistic, you know, the decline by nine, I think that the bottom line, Amanda, is there are many wonderfully, fairly simple, small steps that parents can take that they don't have to feel pressured. They don't have to feel like a failure and they don't have to feel as though it'll happen overnight. But just like I loved your actual connection to, you know, this idea of creating a culture where, you know, we do the dishes together. We do our chores together. That's an important, you know, that's something we all do as a family. So I think that that understanding that there are going to be a times in your family life when reading is not, you know, where the household is not optimized for a ton of reading, but you still, but still talking about it, still expressing that it's important, finding little ways. I mean, even things like, you know, one of the things that I did with my daughter who did not like, you know, really is now getting much more into reading, but there was a period of time she really wouldn't do it. I had, I brought, I pulled out all these old picture books that she used to love, all the old classic picture books. And we would sort of look at them together and, and even just having those books around and, and talking about authors and looking at the illustrations, it, it kept, kind of kept things going a little bit. Um, so I think that not feeling overwhelmed and not feeling like a failure if your kid is not devouring tons of books, but also not giving up and looking for those small ways. I think that that's what's going to help this problem for parents. Yeah, it can really turn the tide, even if your attitude is just one of openness and positivity. Yes, yes. Is there anything that we've missed or anything that you'd like to elaborate on or go back to? Let's see. I think that parents also should remember that, well, there are so many wonderful books out there. There are also lots and lots of other ways for kids to bring reading into your house. Um, obviously, our, you know, magazines, shorter, you know, shorter articles, audiobooks, graphic novels. There's so many different mediums. I think that if a child is dedicated to being on a screen, there are lots of ways for them to read on screen. So um, I think that would be that would be an important point to make too. That it's that books are are fantastic, of course, but there are lots of other types of reading that kids can do. Yeah, and developing a love of stories can be very very powerful, and it can lead to them actually reaching for a tangible book off of the shelf, perhaps that could also, you know. Uh, I can imagine a magazine being a gateway tool to, to books and beyond. One of the things in the kids, um, kids and Family Reading Report, too, is that kids, they really want stories that are going to inspire them and teach them and take them to new places. So we, you know, here in, in our group anyway, we really saw this as a call to action. You know, we, we pride ourselves, you know, we're very, we put so much time and energy into the kinds of articles that we write. Um, we want them to be truly memorable, truly exciting and inspiring. We want them to run home and talk about them at dinner with their parents or share them with their friends. So I think that not to forget that it's not just reading in and of itself. It's, as you said, choosing stories that are going to, that are going to have an impact 
and stories that are going to spark curiosity so the kids want to learn more. That's another piece of it. And that's another thing that parents can do is, you know, really try to find um, books and articles that are going to open doors, curiosity in their, in their kids' minds. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. Where can people go to find out more about you, Lauren Tarshis, but then also Scholastic and the Kids and Family Reading Report? Well, the Kids and Family Reading Report is on the Scholastic website. So you can just find that at scholastic.com or you can slash slash reading report. Of course, there is my website. Um, I have a lot of on my website and my personal website, I actually have our magazines are, you know, our magazines that teachers subscribe to for their classrooms. But I've made some of my most popular articles available um, on my website where I also you know, talk about my books. And um, in terms of a call to action, I think that we've covered a lot of them. But I think that the, for me, for parents, it's once again to um, not feel as though they're failures if their kids don't love to read, but to feel empowered to take some simple steps to make reading more a part of their kids' lives, including trying to limit, you know, maybe diminish some of the time that's spent on video games and other electronics, modeling reading, you know, trying to not be on on their own phones all the time and getting pulling books more into their own daily lives and, and sticking with it, even if there are fallow periods where kids are not you know, don't seem to be reading as much to continue to bring books home, have them in the house, family read alouds, audiobooks in the car, and making reading a part of your family culture. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Lauren. Well, good luck. It was so great to talk to you guys and, and good luck with this great venture. I look forward to being in touch. Amanda, I am so glad that we were able to talk to Lauren because that was some really good, really, really useful information. I agree. It's really important for parents to know sort of the effects of, well, not sort of, I mean, it's the effects of what happens in the home regarding reading. And there are going to be a few guests that we have on the podcast that talk a lot about the importance of those early years. It's not something that is going to take a whole lot of effort on our part as parents. I mean, we may need to change a few things about our family um, and the way that we go about life, but I don't think that it's going to be this huge shift that would need to happen to be able to help even just a little bit. I mean, 10 minutes of reading with our kids every day in the grand scheme of things, isn't that much. And I think we can all somewhat easily find the time to do that. I agree. And if we prioritize it, it'll help. And we should be able to find a way, hopefully, to make it happen in our home and to create the environment of a reading family and a reading culture. And that's really what we wanted to do with this podcast is just give people that motivation and that support and that encouragement to make reading a priority in their families because it just is such a huge benefit in all sorts of ways. Yes. So, so grateful to Lauren for coming on and talking to us about the Kids and Family Reading Report. I would not be surprised if this is not the last time we hear about it. We're probably going to be talking to some other people and delving into other aspects of the report because there are many gold nuggets in there (laughs) that 
are just really interesting and really good things to know. So you can find the link for the report itself on our website at onepagepodcast.com. And you can also find a link to it in the show notes. Take a look at it. It's really interesting. And you can find out more about the decline by nine on page 11 of that report. And there's also a little bio about Lauren Tarshis on there as well. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.